You're listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Amen. Please open with me in your Bibles to the book of Jonah. Last week we began a new series in the book of Jonah in which we are talking about Jonah. We're calling it Jonah, God's Mission in the World. And that's what we're talking about as we go through this series. While you're turning the book of Jonah, by the way, if you're looking for it, it's in the Old Testament. And if you're not exactly sure exactly where, no worries. Just look in the front of your Bible. You've got a table of contents. Look up that page number. If you read the Bible on your phone, you can just search Jonah. In the Old Testament, just scroll through till you find that thing. If we like to go through the Bible verse by verse, that's how we study it. We believe that God speaks to us in that way as we study His Word. And while you guys are turning to the book of Jonah, I would like to give a shameless plug for our Project Greatest Gift, our Project Back to School, which is an extension of Project Greatest Gift. This is an outreach that we do to kids in foster care. And I, what I really want to impress upon you is that kids in foster care, statistically, are really an at-risk people group who live among us. And sometimes we don't, we don't even realize it, we don't see it, but if you look at statistics, they're one of the most at-risk people groups in our society. Kids who are raised in foster care oftentimes have, well, they have higher rates of, of dropping out of school, and they have higher rates of alcoholism, drug abuse, and incarceration. And really the, the biggest factor in, in turning that and, and changing that trend is if they can finish school. And so part of our uh, calling to be salt and light in our community is for us, we want to encourage these kids by giving them some school supplies, helping them feel good about going to school. We want to encourage them to go to school so we can help them buck that trend and not fall into that cycle of folly and, and, and destruction. So I really encourage you guys, this is a great project. It's awesome that we get to be involved with this. I encourage you to, to help, uh, help out with that project at the back table. You can check it out after service. As I said, we've been in a series just starting last week uh, called Jonah, God's Mission in This World. I think that a lot of people are familiar with the story of Jonah. I mean, everybody's heard of the guy who got swallowed by the big fish. But I think that a lot of people, at the same time, they don't understand why this book is so important in the Bible and why it's so important for our lives today. You know, really, if you want to know what Christianity is all about, the book of Jonah is one of the very best places in the Bible to go to find that out. So this morning we're going to be looking at chapter 2, and there's a very important message in here for us that we don't want to miss. So let's go ahead and read this chapter, we'll read the text, and then we'll pray and get into our study. Begin on the last verse of chapter 1. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, in the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me, and then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out on the dry land. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And this morning we come with expectant hearts, Lord, desiring to hear from you and expecting to hear from you as we study this chapter. 
Lord, would you help us to see why this chapter is important in this story? Would you help us to see why it's important in our lives? And Lord, would you speak to us through these words that are inspired by you? So Lord, we ask that you would do those things and let it bear much fruit in our lives. Let us see Jesus and understand the gospel in a greater way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So how many of you have ever almost died? I mean, you don't actually have to raise your hand. It's kind of a rhetorical question. But I want to ask you a question. How many of you have ever actually almost died or had a brush with death? Maybe it was a car accident you survived or maybe a medical issue that almost took your life. Maybe it was something else. In 1981, President Ronald Reagan was the victim of of an assassination attempt which almost took his life. He was shot in the chest on the left side and the bullet came within inches of his heart. It shattered one of his ribs. It punctured his lung and it caused severe internal bleeding. He was taken immediately to a hospital where he was treated, but even in the hospital, he developed an infection in the wound, and that almost ended up killing him, even if the bullet hadn't killed him. But he did survive, and later on, President Reagan went on to speak about this close call that he had had, this brush with death, and here's what he said. He said, I have a sense that I was spared for a purpose, and that all my time after that belongs to God. To say that again because it ties into what we're talking about today. He said, I have a sense that I was spared for a purpose and that all my time after that belongs to God. That same sentiment, by the way, is shared by many people who experience near-death experiences uh, and survive them. They say, you know, my life was hanging in the balance. It could have gone either way. I could have died, but for some reason, God chose to spare me. There, there must be a reason for that. God must have a purpose with my life if he kept me around when I could have died. Now here in the book of Jonah, we're picking up the story where Jonah has just had a brush with death, a near-death experience. He almost died, came very close. Let me just catch you up to speed for those of you who weren't with us last week. Jonah had been called to do something by God that he didn't want to do. God had called him to go to Nineveh, which was the capital of Assyria. And God called him to preach to them a message of repentance, which carried with it an implication of God's mercy and grace. But Jonah didn't want to go there. He didn't want to do that. You see, Assyria was a ruthless and violent and imperialistic nation, which posed a clear and present threat to the very existence of Jonah's country, which is Israel. I mean, they threatened the very existence of Israel. And they, and they were a brutal country. We talked about some of the things that they, they would do, just terrible, inhumane things that they did to people on a regular basis. What's interesting is that the ruins of the ancient city of Nineveh can still be visited today. You know where they are? They're in the present-day city of Mosul, Iraq. Now, if you've heard the name of Mosul, Iraq, you've probably heard it because until very recently, that was the largest city which was under control by ISIS, And so it's very interesting, actually, that parallel there, because ISIS is probably the best parallel that we have in our modern day to understanding what Nineveh was like, especially to a person like Jonah. I mean, just try to put yourself in his shoes for a second. Imagine if God called you to put on your Bruce Springsteen, born in the USA t-shirt, right, and your your white American sneakers, and your Make America Great hat again, and, 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 or Make America Great Again hat, and go over to Mosul, Iraq, and, uh, you know, round up all the ISIS leaders and say, hey guys, I'm just here to let you know, Jesus loves you, but unless you repent of your sins and believe in him, you're going to hell. There's a reason why a lot of people don't do that. Actually, there's probably a couple reasons, right? So, so the obvious reason is, Right, you would last about five seconds after you did that. Like they would definitely kill you. 
But the second reason is this. I mean, who of us wants to leave our comfortable home here in America with our smart TV and our Wi-Fi and our, uh, and our air conditioning? Who wants to leave their peaceful, pleasant life to go over to Iraq and, and risk your neck for the sake of some terrorists who, who are just horrible people, I mean, who attack and kill children and innocent women and, and who hate your guts, right? Like, who would want to do, give up all this to go over there and do that? No thanks, right? I mean, most of us would rather do anything but do that. And that's exactly how Jonah felt. So before we start getting too down on Jonah, we really have to put ourselves in his shoes and say, okay, if God called me to go and, uh, and preach to ISIS, what would I do? How would I react? Um, and see, there's a sense in which Jonah said, I'd rather not offer them the grace of God because here's the thing, if God judges them, well, good, they deserve it. I'd love to see God wipe those guys out. And so Jonah ran away. He ran away from what God was calling him to do. In fact, it says that he ran away from the face of God. And so he gets on this boat, and he's heading in the exact opposite direction. You know, he's in Israel. God's calling him to go to Iraq. And he gets on a boat going to Tarshish, which is in Spain. That's literally like the furthest possible place that you could go physically from where God was calling him to go. And so here's what happens. As Jonah's running away... God is pursuing him. God's coming after him. And by the way, that's one of the great themes of this book is that God pursues people. People, even though they turn their backs on God, even though people run away from God, God pursues people. And in this book, that's what we see. God is pursuing the Ninevites even though the Ninevites aren't looking for him. God is pursuing Jonah even though Jonah is running from him and turning his back on him. We see this very important principle. God pursues people because God loves people. Last week we saw that God, the way that he pursued Jonah was by sending a great storm into his life, a literal storm into his life. And Jonah was thrown overboard from the ship that he was riding on. He was cast into the open sea in the middle of a great storm. And Jonah was sure that this was the end of his life. No question was he sure that he was going to die. He doesn't have a life preserver. He doesn't even have those floaty arm things that you blow up and, and you can kind of float a little bit. But even if he did, it wouldn't have helped. I mean, this is a great storm in the middle of the open sea. Even if he's the best swimmer in the world, there's no way that he can survive this. I don't know if Jonah even tried to swim or if he just kind of gave himself up and said, this is my fate, I'm going to die, this is the end. Either way, the last thing that Jonah remembered, he tells about it here in this prayer in chapter two, was himself sinking deeper and deeper in the water, the light fading away, and darkness. That's the last thing he remembers. All hope is lost. And then, in a surprising turn of events, everything changed in a moment. Jonah's life was saved. He was rescued in the most unexpected and incredible way. He was swallowed by a great fish. Now, let me just say this. It's not, this is not completely unheard of, by the way. In fact, there's even a documented case of a man named James Bartley, who in 1891 was working on a whaling ship, fell into the sea, and was found several days later unconscious but alive inside of a sperm whale. Now, whatever kind of creature this was, the text tells us that it was sent by God to save Jonah's life. That's what we know. So here's Jonah. He's just had a near-death experience. He thought he was going to die. He was sure that he was going to die. But in a crazy, miraculous turn of events, God spared his life. And so here in Jonah chapter 2, in the book of Jonah chapter 2, we see Jonah's reaction to all that has happened. And his reaction is, he prays. He thanks God for saving his life. He quotes from the Psalms. And yet, it seems like a really nice chapter, right? Like it seems like Jonah's just praying, getting right with God. But yet, there's something that doesn't sit right. 
There's something that doesn't sit right in this whole scene. And actually, that is the point of the whole chapter. If you really want to understand this chapter, you need to understand that this prayer, as good as it sounds, there's something that's not right about it. See, while Jonah is happy, and while he's thankful that God has saved him, the irony of this situation is completely lost on him. That's the point of the chapter. We're going to talk about that, and I'll explain to you what that means, and the very important thing that it means for you and me today. The title of today's message is, Rescued for a Reason. Rescued for a Reason. And there are three things that we're going to see in this chapter. So it's, let me tell you what those are, and then we'll go through them. Number one, we're going to talk about the summary verse for the entire Bible. The summary verse for the entire Bible. Secondly, the key to understanding Jonah. And thirdly, the reason for your rescue. Okay, so let's begin by looking at the summary verse for the entire Bible. If someone were to ask you, what is the Bible about? What would you say? What would you say if someone asked you, well, well I've never read the Bible, I'm not really sure, but could you summarize for me, what is the Bible about? Well, Bible scholars, over and over, repeatedly, when they've sought to answer that question, they have come here to Jonah chapter 2 to answer that question, and they go to Jonah chapter 2, verse 9, and they say, this is the key verse of the entire Bible. If you want to know what the Bible is all about, this, this verse will tell you. It's all summed up in one phrase right here. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation comes from the Lord. That's what the Bible is all about. Now, first of all, there's two things in there that we must see. First of all, it tells us this. You need salvation. You need salvation. You need to be saved. You need to be rescued. And secondly, it tells us this. The salvation that you need comes only from the Lord. It's not something you can get on your own. It's not something that you can get from anyone else or anything else. If you need to be saved, which you do, the salvation that you need comes only from the Lord and from Him alone. This is what Jesus' life and ministry were all about, this phrase, salvation is of the Lord. This is what the book of Jonah is all about. In fact, this is what the whole Bible is all about. Salvation comes from the Lord. This message, by the way, is what makes Christianity absolutely unique amongst all the religions of the world, amongst all the philosophies and ways of thinking in the world. This is what makes Christianity absolutely unique and completely different. Let me explain it to you this way. You could, you could put it like this. There are three kinds of people in the world. There are the religious, there are the irreligious, and then there are Christians. In other words, Christians are something completely different, something off the grid, something that doesn't fit in the general way that people think of religion and irreligion. Because Christianity is something different than religion or irreligion. See, most people tend to think only in terms of religion and non-religion, right? So like, I, I meet a lot of people, and when they find out that I'm a pastor, they often, they often want to tell me, oh, you know, hey, I'm not religious. And I say, well, hey, hey, I'm not religious either, but you know what? I'm also not not religious. I'm something completely different. What I believe and what I am is something that doesn't fit in your grid. And you know why? It's because people tend to think that everybody kind of fits along a spectrum, so a continuum. On the one hand, you have the extremes, right? So you have the people who are very religious, and you have the people who are very not religious. And everybody else fits in there somewhere in between, between very religious and very not religious. Maybe they're a little bit religious or a little bit not religious. See, what's the difference between those two? Irreligious people believe that they don't need salvation. So irreligious people say, I don't need salvation because I'm a good, decent person, right? Like maybe there's some meth addicts out there or some people robbing gas stations and they might need salvation, 
but I don't think I need to be saved from anything. You might remember in this last election cycle, I mean, that was one of the things. One of the politicians in the cycle was interviewed, and he said, I've never asked for forgiveness for my sins because I don't think I need to. I don't think I have anything to be forgiven of. That's an irreligious person. That's a person who says, I don't need salvation. What do I need that for? I'm a good person. I'm not a drug addict. I'm not a criminal. I'm not a bad person. So I don't need to be saved from anything. On the other hand, you have religious people, right? So religious people admit the fact that they need salvation. The only thing is that they believe that salvation depends on them and what they do and, and in order to get it, right? So if they're good and they follow the rules and the tenets and they do all the rituals, then maybe God will notice it and see it and he will bless them and help them and ultimately save them. So irreligious people believe that they don't need salvation. Religious people believe that salvation depends on them and it's something that they have to earn. But the Bible says, no, neither of those are correct. Instead, here's the deal. Salvation comes from the Lord. You need to be saved? Absolutely. But the salvation you need comes from God and from God alone. He's the only one who can save you. You can't save yourself. You could never earn it. You could never merit it, no matter how hard you try. The only way you'll ever get it is if he gives it to you as a gift. That's why the Bible says this, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Grace, what is it? It can be defined in this way. Grace is an undeserved gift from an unobligated giver. Grace is an undeserved gift from an unobligated giver. So God gives us grace, and the way that we receive it is by faith, by believing in and clinging to and relying on Jesus, who he is and what he has done for you. And Jonah, he has this realization here in the fish that God has spared him and saved him, and it wasn't because he deserved it. Quite the contrary. He did not deserve it. This was purely grace. This was an undeserved gift from an unobligated giver. And Jonah realizes, God spared me. I didn't deserve it. He must have done it only because he loves me. You see, a lot of us are like Jonah. That's why thinking in terms only of religious and irreligious, it isn't enough. You see, thinking in terms only of irreligious and, and religious, it's not enough. Because here's what we see with Jonah. Is he religious or irreligious? He's absolutely religious. He's a prophet. He works for the church. He's a religious guy. And yet, he's far from God. You see, that's the thing. He's religious, and yet he's far from God in his heart. And on the other hand, we have the Ninevites, and they're pagans, and they do bad stuff. And yet, as we're going to see, God speaks to the Ninevites, and they obey immediately. They respond immediately. So who's the good guy in the story, the, the religious person or the pagan? Outwardly, Jonah is moral. He's a religious guy. He's morally upstanding. On the other hand, you've got the Ninevites who are brutal, they're inhumane, and they're immoral. And yet, although Jonah looks better on the outside, in his heart, he's far from God. And here's the point. Whether you are a moral person or an immoral person, whether you are a religious person or a non-religious person, we all need the same thing. We all need salvation. A salvation that can only be received from God as a gift of his grace. And it's only received by faith, by trusting in and clinging to and relying on Jesus and what he did for you. Here's the thing that happens when you understand the grace of God to you. When it really sinks in that God loves you, 
And that he's given you this undeserved gift as an unobligated giver. That God has saved you, not because of anything that you've done, but only because he loves you. When you really understand God's grace for you, you know what it does? It transforms you. It changes you. Here in the book of Jonah, what we're seeing is we're seeing Jonah being taken on this journey led by God. He's being taken on a journey of understanding and realizing and seeing what God's grace is all about. You see, he's always been a religious guy. He probably grew up being religious, but he hasn't always understood the grace of God. And as the story progresses, Jonah is going to get a progressively deeper and more comprehensive understanding of what God's grace is all about each step of the way. Because think about how this story begins. God tells Jonah that he is going to offer grace to the Ninevites. If the Ninevites will repent of their wickedness and they will turn to him, God will offer them grace. And Jonah says, no, I don't want them to receive grace. They don't deserve it. You see now, but isn't that actually the point? Of course they don't deserve it. No one deserves grace. That's the whole point of grace. No one deserves grace. Grace is an undeserved gift from an unobligated giver. But Jonah's not quite there yet. He doesn't quite understand it yet. And so the first thing that Jonah needs to learn is that he is a recipient of grace. That he needs grace. He needs salvation. He desperately needs it. And that he doesn't deserve it at all. And yet salvation comes from the Lord as an act of grace. That's the first step is understanding that even though he's a moral person, even though he's a religious person, he's in desperate need of the grace of God. He's in desperate need of conversion and salvation because despite all of his outward goodness, his heart is far from God. You know, I was talking with some people this week and just saying that I think as a, as a Christian community, we've done a bit of a disservice to people in that we, we portray it as if You know, the only people who need Jesus are the people who, like, live in trash cans and shoot drugs into their eyeballs and kill the president, right? Like, those are the people who need to be saved and born again. But you know what? If you look at the Bible, I mean, what is this story telling us? The religious person is far from God. He needs to be converted. He needs to understand grace. He needs to receive salvation. In fact, that that message is carried on throughout the whole Bible, And so when we hold up these testimonies of people whose lives are radically changed, that's great. But we can't do it to the detriment of saying, no matter who you are, a good person, upstanding person, even religious person, even a very moral person, that's not what saves you. Jesus saves you and everyone needs salvation and salvation comes only from the Lord as an act of his grace. You see, it's only when you understand the depth of your sin that you will be amazed and thrilled by the grace of God. Let me say that again. It's only when you understand the depth of your sin that you will be amazed and thrilled and electrified by the grace of God. You see, for Jonah, like for many people, his sin wasn't outward. It wasn't obvious. It was in his heart. It was invisible to the naked eye. And yet it took a situation like this to really bring to the surface what was going on underneath the surface. And now Jonah sees it and he's amazed and he's thrilled By the grace of God towards him, a sinner, an undeserved gift from an unobligated giver. You know, in Paul's letter to the Colossians, he says something really interesting. In Colossians chapter uh, chapter 1, verse 6, he says this. He says, the gospel has gone forth and the gospel has has borne fruit in you since the very first day that you understood the grace of God in all its truth. So he says the gospel has gone forth in the world and it has borne fruit in you ever since the day you first understood the grace of God in all its truth. 
What Paul's talking about is transformation, spiritual transformation, life transformation. He's talking about growth. And what he says is the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done for you to save you, the gospel has been bearing fruit in your lives ever since when? Ever since the day you understood the grace of God in all its truth. What's he saying? What he's saying is this. The thing which causes us to grow and to be transformed is an understanding of the grace of God. If you want to grow, if you want to be transformed, here's what you need. You need a deeper understanding, a deeper knowledge and and grasp of God's grace. See, because here's what happens when you understand the grace of God, when it really takes a hold of your heart, when you see who Jesus is and what he's done for you and the love of God that that communicates and represents, and it overwhelms you, it electrifies you. The fact that God loves you that much, even in spite of your sins and flaws and imperfections and shortcomings. And understanding that, seeing that, that is what transforms your heart. It changes your heart and it changes your motivations It motivates you to seek him and to serve him and to change things in your life. Not out of duty or obligation or because somebody told you that you have to, but because you got a glimpse of something so beautiful. You got a glimpse of the severity of your situation apart from God and the magnitude of his love and grace for you. And it melts your heart and it changes you and transforms you and changes the way you think and the way you live. Jonah is in the middle of that process. I like to put it this way. I I think that a lot of people tend to think of the gospel as kind of like the ABCs, right? The ABCs of Christianity. That's the beginner stuff. That's how you get started. Jesus, God loves me. Jesus died for me. But I like to put it this way. The gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity. It's not just the ABCs of Christianity. It's the A to Z. It's the whole thing. It's the gospel message of Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done for you. It's not the ABCs of Christianity. It's the A to Z. The gospel isn't just what you need in order to become a Christian. Understanding the gospel is what you need to grow as a Christian, to reach every new stage and plane of Christian growth. You never outgrow the gospel. It's not like you start out with the message of God's grace and then move on to the deeper stuff. There is no deeper stuff. This is as deep as it gets. The message of God's grace, that's as deep and as profound as it could possibly get. And that's why here at Whitefields, we continually return to this message week in and week out. The gospel, Jesus, the cross of Calvary, God's love and his grace for you. Because as you understand that and as you continually understand it more and more, that truth will transform you and it will bear fruit in your life. Salvation comes from the Lord. That's what the Bible is all about. It's what God is teaching Jonah, and it's what he's teaching us as well. And as you understand the gospel, and you understand the grace of God in all its truth, it will transform your heart, and it will change your mind, and it will motivate your actions to follow the Lord, and turn from sin, and serve others, and join God in his mission in the world. So that's our first point. Let's move on to our second point, which is the key to understanding Jonah. As I said, it's really easy to read this chapter and think, well, it's really nice. I mean, it's a nice prayer. Uh, Jonah seems like he's turning the corner now. He's getting right with God. And in a way, that's true. But in another way, it's not. Because if you consider this chapter in relation to the rest of the book, how it fits into the rest of the story, here's what you'll see. Here's what you'll notice. You'll notice that something isn't right here. 
Because here's Jonah in chapter 2 saying, salvation is of the Lord. Thank you, God, for your grace towards me. I'm going to go now and I'm going to do what you told me to do. And yet what happens in the following chapters? Jonah's heart hasn't changed at all, really. I mean, now he's obeying God, but his heart hasn't changed. He still hates those Ninevites. He wants to see them rot in hell, right? He does what God tells him to do, but he does it with a really bad attitude. If you really want to understand this chapter, the key to understanding it is found in verse 10. Let me read verse 10 to you again. The Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. Vomited. Wow, what a word, right? Like, that's kind of a disgusting word. And I I really want you to embrace the disgustingness of it, okay? Just right now, just picture it in your mind. Jonah, vomit, all these things. Now, on the one hand, I understand there's only a couple different ways to get out of a fish if you're in a fish, right? Vomiting's one of them. So, but the thing is, there's probably a nicer way to put this, right? Like you could have used a euphemism or, or you could have said just, you could have just said, hey, Jonah somehow got back on the shore, right? Like he's, he's not in the fish anymore. Uh, so why was this word chosen? Vomit. This word vomit, it, it's disgusting and it communicates disgust and it evokes disgust when you hear it. And here's the point. Jonah's disgusting right now. God is disgusted with Jonah. Even the fish is disgusted with Jonah. And we should be disgusted with Jonah. Now, before you say, hey, well, that's a little bit harsh. I mean, I mean I, I'm not sure that I would do any better. Why should I? I don't want to be too hard on Jonah. Well, don't, don't feel bad for Jonah. And let me tell you why. Who wrote this book? Who wrote this book? Jonah wrote this book. Okay, so Jonah is telling us his story. He's telling us this is an autobiography. And Jonah's telling us about himself on his very worst day. Hey guys, this is the worst day of my life. Remember, there was this time a couple years ago, God was trying to teach me something and I was just a bonehead, man. Like, You see, Jonah wants us to see how disgusting his attitude was, how disgusting he was at this point. He's wanting us to see his wrong attitude, his bad behavior. He wants us to be disgusted. See, he wrote this book. He wrote it after he he had gone through these things and he learned this lesson that God was teaching him and he's looking back and he's saying, man, I was such a bonehead. I was a moron. I had a terrible attitude. I didn't get it, but now I do. And so he's telling us this story in order to say, let me tell you about this time when I didn't get it. And I want you to learn from my mistakes so that you don't make them yourself. I don't know about you, but I have a lot of stories like that, like, right? Like where I did something dumb and then I tell people about the dumb thing that I did so that because I learned a lesson and I'm hoping that maybe they can uh, learn that lesson from me rather than having to learn it themselves, right? Like the one time when I decided that I was gonna go tubing in Poudre Canyon, but I'd never actually been in Poudre Canyon before. So I just parked my car in downtown Fort Collins and hitchhiked. And I uh, got back to my car about 11 hours later and I was freezing cold and I had to walk several miles and go through lots of barbed wire and uh, all kinds of stuff. Don't, I don't recommend it, okay? So another one was uh, one time I, I had this Toyota Sequoia and I tried to take it four-wheeling on the middle St. Vrain four-wheeling trail. There's all these signs that say high clearance four-wheel drive vehicles only. I was like, well, what do you think this is? Toyota Sequoia, what do you think? This thing's made for it. It's, just saying, Toyota Sequoia is basically a minivan with four-wheel drive on it. I mean, uh, it turns out uh, that wasn't such a good idea. 
And so I tell these stories, right? They're kind of self-deprecating stories in which I'm the guy who did the dumb thing and I tell the story so that you'll shake your head and laugh and why? So that we all learn something from it. That's what Jonah's doing here in this book. It's self-deprecation. He's telling us this story of his very worst day so that we'll shake our heads and say, man, that's crazy and that we'll learn from it, from his errors. The key to understanding Jonah is irony. If you don't understand the irony of the story, you don't understand the story. It's satire. You know what satire is? Here's the definition of satire. Satire is the exposure of human vice or folly through the use of humor and irony. In other words, if you read the book of Jonah and it doesn't make you laugh, then you haven't understood the book of Jonah, right? Like you don't really get it. Because this is a ridiculous story. Can we just agree? This is a crazy, ridiculous story. Now, that isn't to say that it's not true. I believe that this story is true, but it's still crazy. It's still ridiculous. It's funny, right? Like, everything that happens in the story is so over the top. Like, God calls Jonah to do this wild and radical thing, and Jonah runs away from God as if that's even possible. Like, who is this person who thinks that he can run away from God? God's like green eggs and ham, right? Like, he can see you in the boat. He can see you in a, with a goat. He can see you uh, in the rain. He can see you on a train, in the dark, in a tree, in a box with a fox, in a house with a mouse. God can see you here and there. God can see you everywhere. So Jonah is just silly that he thinks that he can run away from God. And so Jonah gets swallowed by a giant fish who carries him back to shore and barfs him up on the beach, right? Like, we should look at this and be like, wow, there's this guy. He's covered in fish vomit. And then he walks into Nineveh, and he gives the absolute worst evangelistic message that's ever been given in the history of the world. That's what we're going to study in our next week's series, our next week's message. He gives the very worst message that's ever been preached in the history of the world, and everybody gets saved, right? Like from, the, from everybody, like without exception. And then Jonah whines and complains about it, and then God gives him uh, some shade, and then God kills his shade just to say, take that, Jonah, how do you like it, right? Like, this is a crazy story, and it's supposed to be funny, and when you read it, you should laugh at it, because it's ridiculous. It's silly. He's being silly. But then, here's the thing. You should look at yourself, and you should ask the question, am I really all that different than Jonah? You know, I learned an interesting thing as I was studying this week about the book of Jonah. I didn't know this, um, but it turns out uh, there's, I found a ton of, ton of information about this. Did you know that the Jewish people to this day, on the day called Yom Kippur, which is one of their great holidays, it's the Day of Atonement. So on Yom Kippur, Jewish people gather in their synagogues and they will read the entire book of Jonah in one sitting. They'll have someone stand up and they'll read the entire book of Jonah beginning to end. And then you know what they do at the end? Collectively, as a group, they all say, we are Jonah. We are Jonah. There, I found a ton of websites and blogs about this practice. We are Jonah, they say, as a way of confessing that sometimes they don't get it. Sometimes they run from God, that they, the religious people, often don't share the heart of God for the world. See, if we read this book and all we come away with is, wow, Jonah was such a moron. I can't believe he disobeyed God. I can't believe he had such a bad attitude. What a, what, a, what a bonehead. If that's all you come away with when you've read this book, but you never get to the point of saying, I am Jonah, then you miss the whole point of the book. The key to understanding Jonah is irony. 
It's ironic. Isn't it ironic? Everybody in the story obeys God except for Jonah, and he's the prophet. He's the religious guy. It's ironic that Jonah knows the word of God, but he hasn't actually let the word of God penetrate his heart and change him. That's what's so interesting about his prayer, by the way. Here in chapter 2, there's not a single original word in it. Do you realize that? There's not a single original word in this prayer. Every single word of this prayer is a quotation from the Psalms. If you have one of those reference Bibles that gives you references, go ahead and take a look at it right now. Verse 2 is a quotation from Psalm 118. Verse 3 is a quotation from Psalm 88. And you can go down on the line. Not a single word in here is original from Jonah. Now what does that tell us? It tells us that Jonah knew God's word, but he didn't really know it. Jonah knew a lot of Bible verses by heart, but those verses hadn't touched his heart. They hadn't changed his heart. He knows the scriptures, but he doesn't share the heart of God. And the pinnacle of irony in this chapter is that Jonah prays and he thanks God for saving him and showing him grace, and yet he doesn't even think about how God wants to do that exact same thing for the Ninevites. You see, Jonah, if God saved you in spite of your sins, if it was pure grace and you're so thankful... But what about the Assyrians? Don't you think they'd be thankful to receive God's grace too? Are you really that much different than them? But Jonah would say, oh, well, yeah, I mean, I'm totally different than them. I mean, they're a bunch of sinners. Well, Jonah, I don't know if you noticed, but so are you. And they say, well, well they, those people are rebelling against God and, and they're doing bad things. Well, Jonah, so are you. You see, the irony of Jonah's prayer is that at first it sounds really nice. But the more you read it, the more you realize it's actually kind of disgusting. And here's why. It's because it's totally self-centered. It's totally self-centered. Here, God is trying to teach Jonah that he cares about all people, and yet Jonah only cares about himself. That's the irony of this story. And that brings us to our final point, which is this. The reason for your rescue. You know, I think a lot of times we can be like Jonah. We can be self-focused spiritually spiritually self-centered, and I think our culture kind of feeds into it, but, but what that means is that we can become so focused on who God is for me and what God can do for me and, and how great it is that God loves me and takes care of me and gives me grace. He's my personal Savior who takes care of me and my focus is on my spiritual growth and my well-being to the point where we lose sight of the fact that God rescued you for a reason which is actually bigger than you yourself. God saved Jonah, but God didn't just save Jonah for Jonah's sake alone. God saved Jonah for a purpose, for a mission, to go to the Ninevites. Do you remember what Ronald Reagan said after he almost died? I mentioned it's at the beginning. He said, I have a sense that I was saved for a purpose and that my time after that, all of it belongs to God. You know, the same is true for me and for you. Jesus died for you in order to save you, in order to rescue you, but his purpose in saving you is bigger than just you yourself. It's not smaller than just you yourself. It is you, but it's bigger than just you. It's so you can be part of his mission. He wants to use you and your life for his purposes and his mission in the world. In 1 Timothy 1 verse 9, it says that God saved us according to his purpose. God saved us according to his purpose. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says that since God has ransomed us by paying the price for our sin in Jesus on the cross, therefore we owe him everything. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he makes it even more clear. He says, Jesus died so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for the sake of him who for their sake died and rose again. Jesus came to rescue you for a reason. 
a reason that's bigger than you. It's bigger than you yourself. God is on a mission to seek and to save those who are lost, to redeem the world. Jesus told his disciples, just as the Father sent me, so now I send you. He says, go into all the world. Carry on this mission. Go into Longmont, Erie, Berthoud, Firestone, into Hungary. Go into Ukraine, to the ends of the earth. And tell people the good news, that God loves them, that Jesus died for them. Invite them to be disciples of Jesus Christ. As a church, we seek to do this. We seek to be a community of people on mission with God. And I want to encourage you. We do that as a church, but I want to encourage you to do it as an individual and as a family as well. The theme of the book of Jonah is this. God loves you, but he doesn't love only you. God cares about us but he also cares about them, all the thems of this world. In Romans 3, verse 29, Paul asks this question. He says, is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, he's the God of the Gentiles too. Here's what that means for you and for me today. It means that God loves you, but he doesn't love only you. He loves other people too. And he wants to work in you, but he also wants to work through you for the sake of other people that they might come to know him and his love and grace too. Even those neighbors whose lifestyle you disagree with. Even those coworkers who don't share your faith, who don't believe what you believe. Even those people who you don't even know in this city and halfway across the world. God's desire is that we would share his heart for other people in the world and that we would become vehicles of compassion and love and of the gospel to those people whom he created and whom he cares about so deeply. We are Jonah. We are Jonah. Jonah was a sinner who was saved by the grace of God. He wasn't saved, though, just for his own sake. He was saved for the sake of God's mission in the world. There's one other thing. We could say that we are Jonah all day long, but there's one who said, I am Jonah. In fact, I am the greater than Jonah. Jesus called himself the one who is greater than Jonah because just as Jonah was cast into the depth of the sea, just as Jonah was cast into the storm of God's wrath and he went down into the depths only to rise again three days later, Jesus was cast into the ultimate storm of God's wrath. But unlike Jonah, there was no one and there was nothing to catch him. He bore our sins. He was crushed for our iniquities under the weight of our sins so we might live. And on the third day, he rose again. So I encourage you this morning, look to him. See God's grace for you in giving his son so that you might be saved. And as you behold that grace of God, may it transform your heart. May it change the way you think. May it change the way you live. May it motivate you to share God's heart of love and compassion for other people. May it motivate you to not only live for yourself, but to take an active role in God's mission in the world. He came to rescue you for a reason, a reason that's bigger than you. Amen? Lord, we thank you for this story of Jonah, and we thank you for how it speaks to us of your love and your mercy, your grace and your compassion, not only for us, but also for us. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here today who says, you know, I, I don't know, I've always thought of myself as a religious person, but, but maybe now I, I see that that on its own is not enough. I need more than that. I, I need more than just being a, a good person and doing good things and being religious and going through the motions. I need to receive God's grace for me. I need to be saved and I need salvation. I need to be born again and to be made new in Jesus, given a new identity and a new future. Lord, if there's anyone amongst us who, today who would say that, I pray that as we're praying today that they would say that to you. They would say, yes, Lord, thank you for what you've done for me. I receive it. I rely on it. I trust in it. I cling to it. And Lord, for the rest of us, may we 
say as we read this story, we are Jonah. We are sinners who are saved purely by your grace. But Lord, let us be those who have a heart that aligns with your heart for mission in this world. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com.